Do you ever wonder how much value your physician assistant or nurse practitioner is bringing to your practice? Today, we will be discussing models that calculate that value. You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Lisa DeAndre, your host, and with me today is Ron Nelson, physician assistant and president and CEO of Health Services Associates in Fremont, Michigan. Mr. Nelson has a broad background in both health policy and clinical delivery and is a recognized expert in the area of medical reimbursement. Hi, Ron. Welcome to ReachMD. Hi. Thank you for inviting me. Ron, there are many physicians who are considering adding a physician assistant or a nurse practitioner to their practice. What is necessary in terms of the relationship between the PANP and the physician in order to maximize the value to the practice? Well, first of all, there has to be a basic relationship that uh, recognizes the value this individual brings. And so it's important that the physician recognize and treat this individual like a colleague and that the office setting is also treated that way to not offer this individual as a second best option, but to recognize as an example I often give to people, if the patient calls and says, I need an appointment with Dr. Smith, and the answer is, oh, Dr. Smith's not available. But you know, you can see Ron, who's a PA, versus the patient who calls and says, can I get an appointment? I want to see Dr. Smith. And the answer is, well, Dr. Smith has an opening on Wednesday. Ron, the PA, has an opening today at 2 o'clock. What would you like to do? And you can say that's semantics, but the fact is, it's an example of how you need to present the individual as really a colleague and an equal with the physician in terms of the perception of the customer or the patient. But if I'm the patient, why would I see a PA or NP when I could see a doctor? Well, the studies have demonstrated that the quality is equal. And what we're finding, if you look at the studies that have been done on patient acceptance, in fact, it's generally found that often the PAs and nurse practitioners spend a little more time. And therefore, often we find that patients are very satisfied with that. And what we are finding today is often patients are not as hung up about the credentials behind the individual that's providing their health care as much as they want to know that they're compassionate, they're concerned, and that they're going to provide them the care. And so it's been said that uh, the patient doesn't care what you know until they know that you care. And I think that PAs, nurse practitioners, demonstrate that kind of empathy and care. And in conjunction with physicians, What often happens is patients try the model and you find the patients coming back saying, I want to see this PA or I want to see this nurse practitioner because they develop relationships. In terms of compensation, how should a physician structure a compensation package and should it include a production bonus? Well, compensation, first of all, I think needs to be a process that encourages productivity for this individual while at the same time allowing them personal professional job satisfaction. Also, if they're going to structure some type of incentive, which I do think is an important part of that uh, relationship, it should be simple uh, with achievable targets and certain you know, uh, compensation uh, milestones that are in that uh, process. There are multiple sources one can go to to get that information, but I think that what's most important is to establish what the base income of that individual should be. And then based upon the type of practice, there are different models that we can look at to incentivize. As an example, some models may use RVUs or what we call relative value units to determine that someone hits a certain threshold level and over that they're reimbursed a dollar figure per RVU. Or based on charges, for example, or net collections, that a certain base level is achieved and once that base level is achieved, that then a percentage of of dollars over that may be provided back to that provider as an incentive over and above a base salary. 
there, there are really multiple ways to approach that, and I think what's most important is that people have to be careful that whatever they're doing is realistic, and they have to be careful that they should model the form that they put together, because I can tell you some stories of situations where people really got into problems because they didn't do the financial modeling before they implemented the compensation structure. What if you implement something and it's not working out? What's a fair way to change it or length of time? Well, generally what you look at is at least a one-year period, I think, for a, a compensation formula. And at the end of a year, if, if it's determined that the targets maybe are too high and the individual is not able to achieve those targets, then that may be a time to reassess it. In some cases, that's also a time to say to the individual, your productivity is not to where it needs to be. One of the things that concerns me greatly in the consulting that I do is that there's, there's really fairly low expectations today that I think that NPs and PAs have of what their productivity should be. And that's sometimes clouded by some of the you know, figures that are out there, for example, in the rural health clinics program and in community health centers, where for reimbursement policy reasons, they have these minimum productivity standards, which really do not reflect what these individuals should be seeing. And so I think it's important in whatever formula that's used and in, in, in reassessing that, that there's a periodicity schedule, whether it's 12 months or six months, which I think is a short time, that there is a reassessment and then an agreement on how we go forward. Because conversely, I've seen situations where at the end of the contract, a physician owed a PA twice what they'd already paid him in salary because they didn't really understand what they had guaranteed them. And now you have a, a real conflict existing because the contract says one thing and that was not their real intent. What is your opinion of a pure production formula for compensation? I get concerned about pure production models because it creates the the treadmill or churning potential that this individual is constantly struggling to or working to increase the numbers, increase the dollars, and takes away some of the focus on quality. One of the things that we know today is that every insurance company is profiling. Up to 25% of Medicare is now in a commercial product, and everyone is looking at certain quality indicators. And so I think a formula that includes both production but also some quality indicators such as certain outcomes with chronic disease management. And one might add other things in there such as the individual involved in the practice as it relates to maybe formulary committees or improved, improving efficiency in the practice. All of those things can be structured into a formula that can incentivize the person not just on productivity but also based on quality and helping to improve the practice overall. Ron, can you walk us through a simple formula of how to compensate a PA or NP? Well, I can give you an example, and I want to stress that this is one fairly simplistic process, and I have seen multiple types of formulas that take into consideration many different facets, as we've already discussed, including committee participation and production. But as one example, if someone had a base salary of $75,000, there is often thought within you know the industry that two and a half times the salary of an individual is what the overhead would be. So if this individual salary was 75,000, two and a half times that would be 187,000. You then uh, deduct from the total amount that they produced that 187,000, which leaves a balance of what we call net production of 99,000. And this is based on gross charges. 
you would then say, okay, well, how do we calculate of that 99000 How much would we give back to the PA or nurse practitioner? There are some things that are calculated called production ratios or, or production to salary ratios. And what that basically is is a ratio of the amount of salary ones paid compared to the total amount of gross production. And, for example, based on Medical Group Management Association, or MGMA standards, for a PA nurse practitioner, it's about 26%. So in this case, we could say that the net production of this individual, after two and a half times their salary deducted from their gross production, is 99000 26% of that would be a $25,000 additional compensation. So this individual would make a salary of 100000 75 of its salary, 25 of it is production bonus based on producing uh, just under 300,000 in charges. That's a lot of numbers, but that's a simplistic way to say a base salary, take that salary, multiply it times two and a half. The individual has to produce at least that and cannot get any production incentive unless they produce more than two and a half times their salary. In the overhead costs, are direct costs included in there or just indirect costs of the PA or MP? Well, generally what you put in the overhead is going to be, it includes all the direct costs associated with that individual, which is one of the things that I think practices often don't realize is these individuals have direct costs such as facility, human resource costs, physical plant, uh, utilities, phone, all of those things are overhead for this individual to be in the practice. So that has to be considered as part of the overhead. And when you talk about the gross number, that's the billing or is that the money that's received into the practice? Well, the example I gave you is using gross charges. One could do it based on net collection. But I think it's also important to understand that because PAs and nurse practitioners work in varied situations that that billing number is not the only number to consider when looking at the value they bring to the practice. Because a lot of PAs and MPs work in administration in the practice as well. And how do you compensate for them? Well, if they're doing an administrative role in addition to clinical practice, I think then you have to take a look at compensation based on what administrative salaries are paid for the kinds of duties that they're performing. But often you'll find that PAs and nurse practitioners are providing other aspects of education of the patient, interaction and doing, you know, uh, informed consents, uh, pre- and post-op care. It's often bundled. And it's important to recognize that while we bundle that for the purposes of getting paid, for the purposes of calculating value, within CPT there's a mechanism to unbundle and understand the value of the time and the service that was provided by that individual. And when you do that, it changes the ultimate number that that individual has in terms of impact and value. How about the PAs and MPs that work in surgical specialties or in the hospital? Often they don't bill for services, so how do you measure their productivity? Well, the biggest problem is that hospitals don't understand how to do it and don't want to do it. That's complicated also by often hospitals will employ PAs and MPs and then have them providing services to private physicians, which creates some reimbursement policy issues. But having said that, I think when you look at the surgical specialties, we did a study, for example, in one of the largest cancer hospital centers, one of the big eight cancer centers in the country, looking at surgical specialties. And what we did is we took those services that are bundled, such as pre-op, uh, H&Ps, and post-op care, and we put an economic value to that. We also looked at the time that was spent by these individuals, and they were both nurse practitioners and PAs and services that ranged from breast surgery to neurosurgery. And what we ultimately came up with then was 
the direct billable, which is those that we know that, that clearly you can bill for the PA and nurse practitioner doing. We then took the bundled services that normally were bundled into the physician's time or into their billing for the surgical services. And then we took the time they spent doing the bundled services and recognized that if the PA and NP did not do that, then the physician had to do it. And we took that additional time factor and put an economic value to it based on additional cases and or consults by the physician and demonstrated that even though the direct billable in this particular group was about $130,000, $140,000 worth of direct charges they were billing, when you took the bundled and the additional physician time, the total value calculated was $469,000 for a surgical PA. So there's a significant component of value in those surgical PAs. It's not always calculated because of lack of understanding how to bill or the roles that they are providing in terms of bundled services. I want to thank my guest, Ron Nelson, for coming on the show. I'm Lisa DeAndre, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening. This is Dr. Robert Klitzman with Columbia University in New York City, and you're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.